Welcome to the Parasha and Halakha audio series, a presentation of contemporary halachic topics as they relate to the Parasha Tashavua. The Sephardic Halakha Center is committed to advancing the research and application of Halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a halachic consultation, monetary bedin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha journal, and for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email us at info at vshc.org. The following is an introduction from Harav Shmuel Pinchasi Shlita, the Nasi of the Sephardic Halakha Center, followed by a loose translation of his remarks. אני חייב לומר במילים ספורות שגדולת תלמוד שהביאה לידי מעשה ורבותינו ראו את נושא ההלכה עד כמה זה חשוב עד שאומרים שחדי קודשא בריחו לעשו כשמט את העלים הדעיל חטא חז"ל אומרים אוהב השם שערי ציון מכל משכנות יעקב אוהב השם שערים המצוינים בהלכה יותר מכל בתי כנסיות ובתי מדרשות כמה זה חשוב בתי כנסת, כמה זה חשוב בתי מדרשות. אין ספק שכל מילה בתורה יש בזה תילי תילים של שכר בעולם הזה, בעולם הבא, אבל אין מעלה כגודל לימוד התורה, במיוחד כשמגיעה הלכה למעשה. עד כדי כך שחז"ל אומרים שמאז שחרה בית המקדש לא זזה השכינה מכותל המערבי, אבל רבותינו אומרים שאין לו לקדוש ברוך הוא אלא דלת אמות של הלכה. כלומר, יש שני דברים. יש כותל המערבי, יש בית המקדש שלצערנו עדיין אנחנו מתאווים ושואבים, שואפים לקיים את ה... להקים שכינה מאפרה, אבל אין לו לקדוש ברוך הוא אלא דלת אמות של הלכה. זו מעלת ההלכה. והחתם סופר מסביר ואומר, יש שניים שהקדוש ברוך הוא בוכה עליהם. אחד שיכול ללמוד והוא לא לומד. והשני, שהוא לא יכול ללמוד ולומד, שואל החתם סופר, שאלה ידועה ומפורסמת, מי שם אדם שיכול ללמוד ולא לומד, אז הקדוש ברוך הוא בוכה עליו, כי חבל על דאבדין, עוד כישרון, עוד כוח, אבל למה הקדוש ברוך הוא בוכה על מי שלא יכול ללמוד ולומד? אומר החתם סופר פלאי פלאות, הוא אומר, הוא לא יכול ללמוד פלפול, והוא לומד פלפול, והיה יכול להיות גדול בהלכה. היה יכול להיות, במושגים של הלכה, מסיק שמטה לבדי הלכתה. ויכול להגיע לדרגות של ללבד הלכה. אבל הוא לא לומד הלכה, הוא לומד דבר אחר. ועל זה הקדוש ברוך הוא כואב, ועל זה הוא בעצם בוכה, כאילו חבל מאוד שהוא מתעסק בדברים אחרים, שהם אולי באמת חשובים, אבל אין להם תועלת כל כך. כמו זה שיכול להגיע לידי... הלכה לליבון ההלכה, ולכן אני אומר אשריכם ואשר חלקכם שאתם עוסקים בלימוד ההלכה, ובמיוחד הרבנים הגאונים שהם באמת תורמים מזמנם, ממרצם, מעונם ועונם, הונם ועונם, שברוך השם באים ועושים מלאכת קודש ללמוד וללמד הלכה צרופה, הלכה ברורה. אני מאחל לכולם שידיכם לגאון ולתפארת ולהעלות בעזרת השם ביתר סד וביתר אה, 
עוז בלימוד ההלכה, ובעזרת השם, שכר לימודכם יעלה בידכם להגדיל תורה ולהדירה. אמן. Rav Shmuel Ben-Hasi says the following, With the permission of my brothers and friends, I just want to say a few words about the greatness of Talmud Torah, which leads to action. Chachamim extol the virtue of Limud Halacha so much that they state that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has special pleasure in the study of Torah for the purpose of knowing the correct Halacha. Hazal say on the Pasuk, Ohev Hashem Sha'aret Zion Mikol Mishkenot Yaakov that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves the study halls of Halakha more than any other Batei Knesset and Batei Midrash. There is no doubt that every word of Torah merits a tremendous amount of reward in Olam Hazeh and Olam Abba, but there is no greater virtue than the study of Torah Halakha L'Maaseh. The Rabbis say that since the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, the Shekhinah has not left the Kotel HaMa'aravi. On the other hand, The rabbis also say that after the destruction, HaKadosh Baruch Hu only has in his world the four amot of halacha. Hachamim are comparing our yearning for the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash and restoring the glory of the Shekhinah to the tremendous ma'ala of studying halacha. The Hatam Sofer explains that the Gemara says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu cries over two types of people, one who can learn and does not learn, and one who cannot learn and learns. The question is obvious. It is clearly unfortunate that one who can, can learn and does not learn. The question is obvious. Clearly, it is unfortunate that one can learn and does not learn. What a waste of potential and kohot. However, what is wrong with one who cannot learn and nevertheless pushes himself to learn? The Hatam Sofer answers that the Gemara is referring to one who cannot learn on the deep level of Pilpul and nevertheless attempts to do so at the expense of knowing halakha. This, so to speak, pains HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that although this person is obviously learning important things, still he is neglecting the important study of halakha. Therefore, I commend those who study halakha, especially the very knowledgeable rabbis of the Sephardic Halakha Center, who invest time, effort, and money in clarifying and arriving at the proper, proper halakhic conclusion and teaching them to the tzibur. I bless them to continue with this Melechat HaKodesh and may they merit to see much success in this great endeavor. L'Hagdil Torah Ul'Hadira Amen. The following Shi'ur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more Shi'urim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-TSHC. 8742. Hello everybody, this is Rabbi Shlomo Cohen with the Shi'ur on Parshat Vayikra. In this week's Parsha, we're told in chapter 5, V'nefesh ki techta v'shama kol ala That means if someone was sworn to give testimony, v'hu eid ora'au yada and he was a witness, either he saw or he knew, or ra'a, or yada. Either he saw or he knew, im lo yagid no. If he won't tell his testimony to Beidin after he swore that he would, he was sworn to give over his testimony, no. he is going to carry his sin. From here we see an important principle in the halachot of witnesses, in the halachot of edut.
The Khatam Sofer writes that a case came before him of a couple that had just got married. And a couple of days after the wedding, they suddenly realized that the two witnesses to the wedding were actually not valid witnesses. They were relations. And seeing as they were related to each other, they can't be witnesses. And the question therefore arose, is the marriage valid? Or does it need to be done again? We know that a witness, that, um, at every marriage, we separate two witnesses. The reason why we separate two witnesses under the chuppah, the rabbi says, two people are appointed to be the witnesses to the wedding. And according to some poskim, a, a, um, a wedding without two witnesses is just not valid. Right? We'll see later on why I said according to some poskim. Um, generally speaking, of course, you have to have witnesses to a wedding. Without witnesses, the wedding is not valid. Now, why do we have to separate two witnesses? What about all the hundreds of people that are at the wedding and watching the video? Why can't they be witnesses? One of the rules of witnesses is the way you have a group of witnesses that come to give testimony together, if even just one of that group is not a valid witness for whatever reason, either because they're a relation or because they don't keep Torah and mitzvot, then the whole group of witnesses becomes invalid too. If we find just one of the two witnesses or a group of witnesses to be invalid, then all the testimony that they're giving is invalid. So that's why it's very important that the rabbi who's doing the Kedushin sets aside two Aedim, that you are a group of two Aedim, and you're not joining together with anybody else that's, that's here. And so therefore there's no doubt that your testimony will be accepted. Whereas with the community, the, the people that are invited to the wedding, that they're also watching, amongst them are certainly going to be relatives. And so if they had intention to give witness... Even if they didn't actually come to give witness in Beit Din, they would, according to many postkim, cancel and, and, and um, annul the testimony that was, that was given there. So that's why we always separate two Aedim, that these are the two kosher witnesses for the marriage. You might notice many rabbis that are doing marriages in communities where there are maybe people that are not Shomer Torah Mitzvot, and therefore they wouldn't be considered in many situations as valid witnesses, the rabbi would bring to, brings together, brings with him two witnesses. So that there's no discussion and argument about who can be acceptable as a witness. So very often, I'm sure many of you have seen that, that the rabbi arranging the marriage, he will bring along with him the two witnesses, the people that he knows and personally trusts, that they are kosher, so there should never be any problem. Anyway, let's get back to our story of the Khatam Sofer. So the, this, this couple came to the Khatam Sofer, very worried. What are we going to do? It turns out that the two witnesses to the wedding weren't valid witnesses. 
Do we now need to do another marriage? And if we do, please, Hatam Sofer, arrange it for us. Now, to solve this problem would actually be very, very simple. All the Hatam Sofer would have to do would be to call now into his office two witnesses and do the marriage ceremony again. You don't have to have ten people there. doesn't make it invalid if there aren't ten people at the wedding. And no one would ever know about it. There would be no embarrassment to the rabbi that arranged the wedding, that he used invalid witnesses, and everything would be fine, and no one would ever need to know about this mistake that was made. But the Hatam Sofer said, no, listen, you know, let's fine, let's work out the halakha here. Because you're right, there is, there were, the two witnesses are invalid. But everyone knows that there was a wedding last night, or that night, and that these two, this couple, Rocha and, and Shimon, got married. Everyone knows that. So we have a witnesses through Yedir, through the knowledge. Everyone knows it's what we call an Anansade. Everyone can testify. The whole community knows that on that night, this couple got married. So we wouldn't need special adim, even if the two adim that were there were found to be invalid, nevertheless the marriage is a valid marriage, said the Khatam Sofer, and you do not need any more witnesses. You don't need to do the marriage again, um, and everything is fine. Now, not everyone agrees with this sack of the Khatam Sofer, others say that no, that there's a special halakha with the witnesses to a wedding, that they have to be, um, but without the witnesses, the wedding doesn't count. And you can't say that there was an Anansade. First of all, because in the Anansade, which is like everybody knows, amongst those people are people that are not kosher. The Hatam Sufi answered that question, that with every Anansade, you never need that everyone that's there is kosher. An Anansade means we all know. Right? It's like if someone were to say that right now it's night. We don't need witnesses to prove that it's day because we all know that it's day. Okay? So you wouldn't need witnesses for that because we are all, we can all, everyone, the whole community can testify to the fact that right now it's day. Um, so that was the ruling of the Hatam Sofer which came from our Pasuk. Or Ra'ah, or Yada. That testimony is also knowing. It's not just seeing. It's also knowing. And here we all know the testimony. And so therefore, he allowed the marriage, and he didn't make them have to go through the, 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 another marriage ceremony. This reminds me always of a story about a rabbi where a priest came over to him and he said, look, Rabbi, I know that in your Torah it says that you're supposed to follow the majority opinion. If so, so you should all be like us, Christians, because we're the majority. You're a minority. So seeing as your religion says that you should always follow the majority, you should all convert to Christianity. Ha ha, said the Jew, the Rabbi. When do we follow a majority opinion where there's a doubt? 
When we have a doubt, then we have to, but then we follow the majority. But where we don't have any doubt, we don't follow the majority. We do what we know to be right. Because we don't have any doubt. And of course, about our religion, we don't have any doubt. So seeing as we don't have any doubt, it doesn't make any difference what the majority is doing. We have to follow our Torah. A similar type of idea. But where everyone knows, you don't need anything else. We know. Other cases that we find in the Torah where knowledge is a, is a, is acceptable as, as being a, as being testimony. Let's just think of some other cases. What about if you have video evidence? Video evidence of a crime being committed. Can it be said that you saw what happened? You're not seeing what happened. You're seeing a replay of what happened. So even though you could argue, and some people do, as to whether testimony is would, would be good if it's um, a video. Nevertheless, seeing as we could say, after checking the video, that nothing was altered on it, then we can certainly say that you know what happened after seeing the video. There are many questions about DNA tests in Halakha today. Is DNA a good enough way to recognize, for example, a husband who's gone missing? We have a terrible situation that can arise of an aguna. If a husband goes missing, if a husband is involved, involved in a crash or in a tragedy and his body is not found, also his body is unrecognizable, how can we allow his wife to get married again? These are the very, very serious and frightening stories of Agunot, a woman whose husband has gone missing, and we don't know whether he's alive or dead. We may have even found a dead body, but that dead body was unrecognizable. There was a plane crash, or God forbid, after the 9-11 attack, there were cases of Agunot, of husbands that just... We didn't disappear. We didn't know. Are they, are they alive or dead? And the only proof they had was maybe, maybe in lucky situations, maybe DNA. Is DNA good enough testimony? Is that considered as knowing? In fact, in the past, the rabbis in, 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 in the Dayanim, in Botedinim, didn't want to accept DNA as being a definite proof. And they would only use it together with other reasons to presume that the husband had died. And not by itself. But nowadays, in our time, as things get more, DNA tests become more and more accepted and more and more professional. And there are less chances of mistakes and they can even tell you the probability of a mistake or the probability of someone else with that DNA. So today it's much easier to Paskin that a DNA test is considered as knowing. It's yada. Like we see from the Posik in this week's Pasha. I'm not talking about an Aguna whose husband is just refusing to give a get. And by the way, we must always remember that after the Cherem of Rabbeinu Gershom, that a man cannot marry, marry two wives. Um, so actually, Aguna goes both ways. It's not just if the husband runs away or if the husband is missing. But also, if his wife is, although many say that the Sephardi community did not accept the Chaim of Rabbeinu Gershom, 
that you can't marry two wives, and also that you can't divorce your wife against her will. Of course, the two um, gezeras, the two charomim, go together. Because if you can divorce your wife against her will, so it doesn't matter that you can't marry two wives. Right? You'll just throw one out and take another one. Okay, so we don't do that nowadays. So even amongst the Sephardi communities, it's certainly an accepted custom that we don't do that. And in fact, in the Sephardi Ketubah, the Chatan is made to swear that he's not going to marry another woman while he's with this one. So it doesn't really make a difference whether you're Sephardi or Ashkenazi, as far as this is concerned. No one takes two wives nowadays. Um, So, as I said, a woman can refuse to receive a get just as a man can refuse to give a get. Nowadays, people are doing um, prenuptial agreements, which are actually a very good idea, that there, they're signing down and obligate, each side is obligating themselves, that if, in the future, a situation arises where a Beit Din says that this, this couple needs to get divorced, and one of the sides refuses to do it, so they will have a financial obligation of a few hundred dollars for every day that they don't give or receive the get. So money makes people think twice, even about uh, wanting to cause trouble to their, to their other half. And it's a good idea, I know in America... Um, these prenup agreements are very, very common nowadays, and I've either heard of rabbis in America that won't do a wedding without a prenup agreement. In Israel, it's less accepted, um, but nevertheless, it's still coming in more and more. And it seems to be that it's a good thing that can prevent these terrible situations of agunot. But let's get back to what we were talking about. That a DNA test, right? So a DNA test is considered as knowing nowadays. So um, that would be considered as valid testimony. Another halacha connected to this um, this situation of knowing. If a, if the the, the Shulchan Aruch paskins in Choshen Mishpat in the halachot of damages. That if two men were to go into a closed room with no windows and the door was locked and then they came out after five, ten minutes and one of them was damaged. Can you be a witness that the other guy caused the damage? You didn't see anything. You may have heard a rumpling going on inside the room, but you didn't actually see anything. You didn't see anyone hit anyone. But you can see the guy coming out and he's got a black eye or a bruised arm, or a broken leg, right? So can you now testify that, there, that, the, that the, the guy that was in there with him damaged him? No one else could have got in there to damage him. The halacha says, no, you can't. Because it could be that he did it to himself. And so therefore it's not considered yidiyah. You can't say that you know that um, this other person caused the damage. Only, says the, says the Shulchan Aruch, if the damage, if the, if the, if the wound is in such a place that there's no possible way that he did it to himself. Like in the back of his, in, in his back between his shoulder blades, 
a place where he could never get to to damage himself, only then can you um, make the guy pay for damages. Only then would it be considered yada, that now you know that this is the person that caused the damage. So this thing of Yidiyah is very important in the, all the halachot of witnesses. A number of very, very interesting things come out of the halachot of witnesses that you wouldn't necessarily even expect to learn from there, seeing as anyone who does an avera is not allowed to be a witness. Um, we find a lot of halachot connected to what's considered a transgression and what's considered as tshuva. And we can infer many, many things from here. For example, the Shulchan Aruch tells us that what happens if someone buried a dead body on the second day of Yom Tov? They did an isu. It's also to do that on Yom Tov, to, to bury somebody. But these guys, they have a, they're, 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 they're from the Hevra Kadisha, they go around and they heard someone die, and they buried them. So now they should be invalid witnesses because they did an Avera. And all the more so if you warned them, and nevertheless they did it again. Says the Shulchan Aruch, nevertheless, they're kosher witnesses. Why are they kosher witnesses? Because they don't understand that it should be Osa, even though you told them. They think they're doing a mitzvah of burying this person and not not uh, leaving his body lying around to be defiled. So they think they're doing a mitzvah, even though they're wrong. In such a case, we see, you don't postle the person from being a kosher witness. If someone doesn't realize what they're doing is wrong, then they don't become pasul to be a witness. From that, Rabbi Akiva Eger writes, writes that what about someone who shaves with a razor? He writes about his time. People don't understand in his time, he says, that shaving with a razor is something that's prohibited. Seeing that they don't understand that such a thing is prohibited, so someone who shaves would not be an invalid witness. Um, maybe you could say the same type of thing today with some of the Jews that don't keep Shabbat that the fact that they don't keep Shabbat wouldn't necessarily make them invalid witnesses because they don't realize that driving a car is not allowed on Shabbat. Or they don't realize that it's really a serious thing to, to work on Shabbat, to smoke a cigarette on Shabbat, to, to have a barbecue on Shabbat. They just don't understand, as unfortunately many of the people in our generation are in a situation like that that they're what we call a tinok shenishba. They just don't understand the halakha. When they see a from Jew, they think he's just an extremist. You don't have to do that. You don't have to wear a black hat and go around like that and and uh, walk to shul on Shabbat. You can be more labor dick. You can, you can do... Don't, you don't have to do that or be like that. A lot of people, a lot of the non-religious think like that and a lot of them have been fooled by um, the reform movement that that's perfectly okay what they're doing. And so there's really a question as to whether you can say that these people are going to be pasulei edut because of what they do. I'm not certainly not speaking about everyone. We know that there are some, of course, that do know what they're doing is wrong. 
But there are those that don't understand and don't know. Rav Moshe Feinstein wrote a tshuva about this. Um, what he said was that someone who breaks Shabbat openly can't fall in this category of a Tinok Shenishba. That someone to, to open their business, open their shop on Shabbat, to, to break Shabbat publicly, anyone who does that will be an invalid witness. Because these things people know. Okay, that was in, maybe, maybe today things are a little bit different. There are more and more Jews, unfortunately, who really don't understand what is allowed and what is not allowed. But it's a very interesting halakha that we have from here. To see that Rabbi Kiva Ege is writing about it, that a Jew that doesn't understand that you wouldn't be allowed to shave with a razor wouldn't necessarily be an invalid witness. Other things we learn from here, an important halakha I'd like to mention, is about gambling. The Shulchan Aruch says that a gambler cannot be a witness. Does that mean that you can't gamble? It would seem simple that you can. No. If you see the Gemara, the reason why a gambler cannot be a witness is only is because he's a professional gambler. His whole livelihood is from gambling. If his whole livelihood is from gambling, then not that he's a thief by taking money that doesn't really belong to him. He's not a thief, it would seem, from the, from the conclusion of the Shulchan Aruch. He's not a thief. But what is he? He's doing something. He's living in a very, very light-hearted way. He doesn't really realize the importance of going to work and earning an honest living. A very light-hearted type of person takes everything too easy and a person like that, if you slip him a few hundred dollars under the table, will say whatever you like. So someone like that can't be trusted. That's the reason why a gambler is not a kosher witness. But someone who just, who works hard all week and every now and then goes out and plays poker with his friends wouldn't be an invalid witness. He would be a kosher witness because gambling in itself is not stealing. It's not what we call an asmachta. That would mean an invalid transaction. And therefore, if I were to take the winnings, I'd be a thief. The conclusion of the Gemara is that it's not. The only problem, the only problem, the problem with gambling is if you're a professional gambler and you're living your whole life gambling. That's a problem. And that's also an important thing that to be learnt from here, from the halachot of witnesses. Another important thing I think we see from here, and with that I'll finish for today's shiur, is that how do you do tshuva? How do you do proper tshuva for all these things? We see that the tshuva says the, the, the Shulchan Aruch of, um, of someone who gambles, for example, would be that they would burn their dice and never gamble again, even not for money. It would seem that you're expected to go to an extreme to do complete tshuva for something that you've been doing wrong for many, many years. Um, with that, I'd like to finish off today's shiur. So we see today, let's just summarize, Rao Yada, that testimony can be by knowledge as well. From that, the Khatam Sofer gives us a tremendous chidush, that at a wedding where 
the it was found out later that the witnesses were not kosher because of this anansade, because of this general knowledge that everybody knows that there was a wedding last night, that is enough to say that the wedding is valid and you wouldn't even need to do a quick wedding in a private room where no one would ever see. You wouldn't even need to do that. Have a good week, everybody, and Shabbat Shalom. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a halakhic consultation, monetary beddin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha Journal, or for all other information, please call 1-844-200-TSHC or email info at theshc.org to subscribe.